while they are leaving, if you'll turn to James 4. We're going to continue our study in James 4. James, uh, I'm grateful for uh, uh, the testimonies and the emails and the, uh, the texts and just telling about what God is doing as we walk through James and we, we see our own pride and our arrogance and how that shows up in conflicts with one another and through our words. And, and um, I'm grateful for just to see what God is doing through the preaching and the hearing and the teaching of his word and we in James 4 he's been dealing with with conflicts and and the root of those conflicts and really the root of those conflicts we said were not other people they weren't circumstances they had nothing to do with outside things they were inside of us and if we were going to knit all of this together again James is writing and all of this is knitted together and it really is revolving around the issue of pride and the issue of arrogance. And those are things inside of us. Our own pride and our own arrogance. And, and James is showing in, in throughout this chapter, even without this letter, what happens when we live according to worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. When we, when we seek selfish mercy versus sacrificial mercy. When we make things about us instead of about others. And those themes of godly wisdom and wor versus worldly wisdom, sort of top line, bottom line, wh which one are we going to live our lives according to? Are we going to live our lives according to worldly wisdom? Or are we going to live our lives according to godly wisdom? Are we going to live according to selfish mercy? Are we going to do things and live in a way because ultimately it pleases us? Or are we going to do things and live in a way because ultimately it pleases our Father? Those are themes that we've seen running through James, and they're here as well. And even today, what James is going to get to is our actions and, and really the, the course of our life and the way we live show the theme of, of arrogance. It shows an attitude of arrogance. I mean, what we're, what we're doing week in and week out here, it's like surgery. You don't, I know we probably went in James way longer than some of you want, but listen, when you're doing surgery, you don't want the surgeon to rush. You don't want him to rush. Maybe on you, but I want him to take his time on me. Take your time. And, and I'm grateful for the testimonies. I'm grateful for, again, the, the way God is using His Word to, to open up our lives. To, to Again, the word, is a, the word is a sword. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce both joint and marrow. You read the Word, it, it lays us open sometimes, but that's good because sometimes we need to be laid open. And the Word goes in there and cuts out those, those areas of our lives, cuts out the cancers, cuts out the disease, cuts out the pride, cuts out the arrogance. Why? So that we can look more like our Father. The, the desire is for us to align our lives with this Word. And, and thus our character will reflect our Heavenly Father. But that requires humility. It requires honesty. It requires seeing ourselves who we truly are. Sometimes, again... He, James said, we don't want to be like the man or the woman that looks in the mirror and then forgets what we see. We want to look in the mirror and see what we see, good, bad, and ugly. And allow the Word to deal with that. And allow God to have His way with that. Again, humility, honesty. And what we're going to see here in James 4, verses 13 through 17, is the fact that 
the actions are not the problem. The, the, the actions are not always the problem. What, what you might be doing might be look morally neutral, but it's the attitude behind it, and that's the subtlety of sin. But it's also the pervasiveness of sin, that it's not just our actions, it's the attitudes behind the actions. Outwardly, the actions can look okay. Outwardly, the actions can look fine. But what is it, that, what is it behind those actions? What's the attitude? What's the spirit behind those actions? And what James is exposing is that attitude of arrogance and the attitude of pride, the attitude of lack of humility, attitudes of worldliness. To the untrained eye, they will go unexposed, but yet to the trained eye, they're there. And what, what we see as I read verses 13 through 17, and you see on your handout is the main point that our pursuits, we've talked about our words being fueled by humility or a lack of humility. We've talked about our, 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 um, our fights and our quarrels and where these sources come from, but even our pursuits are affected by this, fueled by attitudes behind the pursuits. Look what James says in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live also and also do this or that. But as it is, listen, you boast in your arrogance. Do you see the common theme? All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it is sin. That theme of arrogance, that theme of being proud, ties this whole section together. The theme of godly wisdom, worldly wisdom, they're in opposition. The, the, worldly, the wisdom of this word is foolishness, to the world, to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. The natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not understand the things of this word. Why? Because they're spiritually appraised. The Holy Spirit in us is who enables us to appraise, to give accurate, right value to the things that are here. And even in our flesh, if we're honest, when we read this passage, if we're honest... We're tempted to think, what's the problem? I mean, come now, who today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a pro what, What's the problem? Well, why is James dealing with that? Why is James even mentioned? This guy's just going about his business. This guy's just going from place to place. What's the problem? Why, why would this lifestyle be challenged? And, and therein lies the problem. We are this man. We're this man. That's, that's why we don't recognize it. We're, we're in this man. We're in our bodies. We don't recognize what we do or why we do it because we're in it. You recognize it in others. I recognize it in others, but it's hard to recognize in ourselves sometimes. This is a man who is operating according to a worldly system, and it seems normal. Living for self, 
worldly attitudes, doing, doing what is natural, doing what comes natural, doing what is convenient, not sacrificial, doing what, what is best for him and not what is best for others. Ultimately, verse 17, delaying what God has told him to do in order for him to pursue his own pursuits. This is us. And what James, what James exposes here is the fuel and the motivating force behind our actions. And it's our attitudes. It's an attitude. What this individual is guilty of is, is an attitude. And, and our attitudes fuel and drive everything that we do. Oftentimes in our lives, we've said it before, the what is not the issue, it's the why. Oftentimes for us, where most where sin can subtly lie in the in the in the shadows and in the bushes, and it's not so obvious is we can do all the right things for the wrong reasons, and that's sin. It's not the what. It's the why. Sin and worldliness and arrogance and pride, they don't always show themselves in just open, bold, arrogant opposition. To God, Satan is sneakier than that. And what James shows us is that worldliness and arrogance and pride oftentimes show themselves in attitudes that are fueling the actions. The reason for the action is an attitude. Not only how we see ourselves, but how we see God. Why we're here, why do we exist, what are our lives to be about, even who's in charge, attitudes. Those are attitudes. That drive everything that we do. And, and that is what James will get out here. And I hope to show us the issue here. What we see here in this man is an arrogant attitude of self-sufficiency that is driving the plans of his life. It is an arrogant attitude of self-sufficiency. He's doing whatever he wants with no regard to any other realities that, that, that the word tells us are true. He's basically, what he's saying here is, is James's readers were guilty of, of planning and living with complete disregard to God. There was no regard to God. There was no regard to any. It was all about self. They were doing whatever was natural, whatever was convenient, whatever they wanted to do. And ultimately, who they were serving were themselves. Just like in James 2, when they gave favoritism to the rich man. Why? Because ultimately the rich man could serve them. This person, these people are doing what they're doing ultimately for their own good. And one of the great dangers for all of us as believers, as followers of, of Jesus Christ is to fall into the trap of, of outwardly expressing our dependence, outwardly expressing our allegiance in, in these formal activities of worship and then disregard Him in our normal pursuits of everyday life. When we meet corporately, we play the part here, but then when we pursue our everyday lives the rest of the week, th there's little regard to God. There's little regard to the things of God. And, and James is exposing their guilt here. It, this is worldliness invading the church. We've seen it time and time again in James. It's worldliness. It's to the tomorrow land we said of worldliness. They're, they're making plans. They're going about their business. They're, they have little regard to God. 
It's all about them. They give little regard to, is this glorifying to God? How does this serve God? Is this preventing me from doing something that I know I ought to be doing? Any of that. It's all about them. And it's worldliness. And if not checked, if, not, if we don't do surgery quick, that, that worldliness invades. It starts here and it invades all kinds of areas of our lives, which lead to actions. And then Christians begin to live and walk and talk and conduct their lives and pursue all the same things that everybody else is pursuing and then even put off pursuing the thing that God tells us to do. Why? Because we have our own agenda over here. I'm not done with what I want to do. That's interrupting me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think I can put that off to do this. And that's pride and that's arrogance. The, the language James uses here in, in the Greek points to a, a self-assurance, a self-reliance, a self-dependence, a self-confidence, all of those. If, if, think about how many words in our, in our language today begin with the word self. Self. We, we are James's readers. We live in a world that is all about self. We live in a world that assumes, just like in James's day, that everything is under our control, that we are the master of our own ship, that we're going to do whatever we want to do, that it's all about us. That's the world we live in. Look, look at, again, 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, he's almost trying to get him to think, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. He says, here's the problem. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. In the Greek, you see it. They are totally assured in and of themselves of what they're going to do tomorrow. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no, there's no flexibility. Hey, this is what we're going to do. Why? Because I'm the master of my own ship. And they're bragging about it. That's why you see verse 6. They boasted. This is how subtle sin is. Not only were they arrogant... They begin to boast in their arrogance. Everything's done out of their own strength. There's little or no thought to, to, to reliance or consideration of God and His glory. Hey, it's, I want to do it, and so I'm going to do it. And again, what, what James accuses his readers of here, the sin that he's dealing with is not immoral activity. It's presumption. It's presumption. It's the sin of presumption. And let me be real clear. There is absolutely nothing wrong with planning. The reality is that some of us ought to plan more. That, that's not what James is dealing with here. James never once in this section rebukes his readers for their plans. Not even, this is what's key. He never even rebukes them for their desire to make a profit. That, that's not what he's dealing with here. Try, trying to make this passage speak against planning or or promote laziness or go against capitalism or all these things that's an abuse of this text that's not what james is getting at the, the problem here is not with planning it's not with profit it's with self-confidence and arrogance behind the planning behind the prophets they are the masters of their own ship or so they think and James is warning them, do not be consumed, do not become so consumed with the things of this world that you lose sight of the real reason we exist. And here it is, for God's glory. 
Again, Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to God's glory. It's not the doing sometimes. It's, it's why you're doing what you're doing. Again, James never, he never, the reality is, is the rest of the Bible, and we'll see it, we ought to plan. We ought to make plans. But here's the thing, they were acting as if they were the sovereign over all affairs of their life. They had basically taken their life and said, look, I'm going to use this for my glory. I'm going to get all I can out of this for me. I'm going to do everything in my days, every day for me. Even here, they presume, look, they says today, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there. They already have their life planned out years in advance. There's no stopping them. Zero consideration for the things of the Lord here. Zero. That's, that's what he's getting at. Zero consideration for the brevity of life. Zero consideration for the, the reality that you might not be here even tomorrow. Never mind a year from now, he says in verse 14. He's saying you're putting off. Ultimately, he's going to show them. You're putting off doing what you know to do now so that you can do what you don't even know you'll be around to do tomorrow. And you're putting it off today. What he's challenging them and us with is this. They had essentially eliminated God from the everyday affairs of life. God, was, God had been eliminated from the everyday affairs of life. That's the problem. Zero consideration. Zero consideration of their testimony, of God, of others. It was a total self-absorption. In reality, it was practical atheism. They were living as if God did not exist, that God was something they did on the side. Hey, but every day. It's interesting, again, in Romans 12, Paul says, we've quoted this many times, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a spiritual sacrifice. He says, this is your living form of worship. How you worship God is through offering your body. Through your everyday affairs, not just what we do here for an hour or two. It's through your everyday affairs. Again, not gross immorality, but an attitude that simply disregarded God. Look, look with me in Luke 12. You'll, you'll see this clearly in, in Luke 12, and you, you'll see the continuity of the Bible. I've told you many times, James builds his theology off the words of Jesus Christ, and, and he does it here as well. This is not some... New thing, in Luke 12, verses 16 and 20, Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So it is the man, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You see the point? No consideration for others. No consideration for how he could use his, his bountiful supply for others. No consideration of God. It was all self. My soul. Look at what. Look at what. Look at your kingdom. It's presumption. It's eliminating God out of the everyday affairs of our lives. The reality is, James says, you're a vapor. 
that appears for a little while and vanishes away. You're here today, gone tomorrow. I, I went to a funeral Friday for one of the secretaries at the main campus, 60 years old. She was diagnosed with cancer two months, just two months ago. She's gone. Here today, gone tomorrow. Vapor. That, that theme of the brevity of our life, that theme of, of making the most count, giving our lives, don't, not wasting our lives, all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 27.1 Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You look at Psalm 39 as well, verses 1-11. through 11. Listen to this. I said, I will guard my ways then I may, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, this is the point. Make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches, riches and does not know who will gather them. And no, Lord, for what, I, for, what, for what do I wait? And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague. He goes on. With reproofs, chasten a man for iniquity. Consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. He's saying, what, what is life about? It's not about just consuming all we can and living for self. We have a brief moment here on this earth to live for and love the Lord and to promote his kingdom and he says use it for that God has shown us great mercy great mercy in the blood of Jesus Christ the challenge is we take that mercy and then we arrogantly think that we can live for self Galatians 5 Paul addresses that very clearly he says verse 13 you are called to freedom brethren here's the challenge only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh but through love, serve one another. We've been set free, and you know what we do? We go use our freedom to serve self. You see it in Romans 1. They had, hey, if grace, abound, if sin, grace abounds where sin abounds, then hey, I'm going to go sin all the more. See, here's the thing there. They understood the awesome grace of God. They understood the, the amazing grace of God, that that was a very real reality. Hey, well, if I'm set free, and Paul's saying, but that's not the point you were set free for. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's arrogance. God's grace is huge. It's freeing. It's radical. The tendency for us is to consider it wrongly and then live however we want without submitting to that grace, without giving back that grace to His service. In giving back that grace to live for Him and to serve Him. We start thinking, oh, well, because I've been set free, I now I'm in control. We're not in control. God is in control. He has he numbered our days, the Bible says. We have a finite number of days here on this earth to make much of Him, to, to glorify Him, to, to, to pursue His kingdom, and to, under His sovereignty, grow His kingdom with Him. 
And what James is saying here is we, we have to maintain an attitude that humbly submits every, everything to God's sovereignty. Everything. And that's where these people failed. It was in their attitude. And maybe not, 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 not explicitly stated, but it's, it, it's in the essence throughout the, the whole New Testament, the attitude of arrogance. We see it in, in Matthew 6, verse 10. Listen to this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about God. This is about His kingdom. This is about His agenda, not my own. In Acts 18, verse 21, we see the same thing. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But in taking leave of them, saying, I will return to you again, if the Lord wills. Paul made plans, but he surrendered them to the Lord. It was out of humility. In chapter 21, 14 of of Acts, you see the same spirit. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Romans Romans 1.10, Paul is is talking about where he's going and when he's going to get there. Listen to what he says. Always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. You see the spirit? You see the attitude? The humility? He made plans, but they were completely submitted to God's will. God could do with them whatever he wanted. And they were all about God's glory. In Romans 15.32, so that I may come to you and... Enjoy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. They made plans, but they were made humbly. They recognized that their lives were in God's hands. And, and, and look at verse 15. Instead of that, instead of that, instead of, instead of an attitude that says, if the Lord wills, look at that. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, but we live and we do this or that. Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. What, what does he mean in verse 15? How do, how, even here, here's the challenge. Even with this statement, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, even here, we can become proud and arrogant. We can say this all day long and not mean it. We can add, if the Lord wills, to after every statement and really not mean it. That, that's not what James is saying here. We, we can say that glibly. We can just say it tritely and have no heart behind it. And, and that's not the point. The point here is to really understand, hey, this is what my desire is. I'm completely surrendered to the Lord's will. That's what he's saying there. My desire is to come to you, but look, God may change my plans. I desire to do this, but I'm totally surrendered to the Lord. It's a fixed mind. It's a fixed attitude that says, I don't want to do anything apart from the Lord's will. My desire is to do the Lord's will. This is my plan, but I may have missed it. That not, might not be what the Lord wants me to do. So I humbly submit that to the Lord. It's a, it's, a, it's a mind. It's a heart that says, I desire to do nothing apart from the will of God. God's will was supreme. It wasn't about theirs. It was about God's will. It was about God's kingdom. God had absolutely authority, absolute authority over their lives. And the attitude, the attitude boils down to this. Taking every single one of our plans, every single one of our thoughts, laying them over the Bible and saying, do they fit? Does this fit 
with what a Christian ought to be pursuing? Does this fit with an agenda? Lord, does this fit with your glory? Can you get glory out of that? Do my plans and your plans for me fit? Do they overlap? Do they mesh together? Where they don't, you get rid of them. Where God redirects, you get rid of them. You, you, you can see there the humility holding things loosely versus the arrogance. Not, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm going to do whatever I want to do and be done with it. Little regard. Little even thought to the things of God that this man in James is talking about. It, it, it's an attitude that is humble to the, to the greatness of God and the goodness of God and, and the grace of God. That says, hey, Lord, this is my, this, these are what I'm thinking but, but I'm going to surrender it totally to you. If this isn't where you want me, please redirect. And it's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. And, and, and these passages, what they do is they force us to evaluate all our plans from a biblically ethical pr- principle. And it's this. Is it in line with Scripture? Are our plans in line with Scripture? Do they mirror the heart of Scripture? That, that's what God calls us to do. Make plans, but submit them to the Lord. And he's saying to live otherwise is arrogant and it's evil. Look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Not only had, were they arrogant, they were boasting in the fact that they were arrogant. And he says that's evil. In 1 Corinthians 1.31, we're said, Paul says, if we were to boast, guess who we are going to boast in? God. If we're going to boast, all boasting is not evil. It's what you're boasting in. We can boast in God. That's a good thing. Yet they were boasting in their self-sufficiency and their arrogance, and that was the problem. Again, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. It was misplaced pride. Instead of, being pri- instead of our pride and our boasting being in God for the great things He had done, they had hijacked it. They had robbed God's glory and, and taken it on for themselves. And look at verse 17 again, where this arrogance leads to. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. And this is where I believe it ties in the the, the pinnacle, if you will, of arrogance. The, The pinnacle of our arrogance could be, look, God, I know what you've told me to do, but my plans are better than your plans. My desires are better than your desires. If here's the arrogance, the arrogance is my plans become an excuse for not doing God's plans. My desires become an excuse for not doing God's desires. My agenda becomes an excuse for not doing God's agenda. And, and let's get real practical. Here's how this plays out. We'll 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 put it right in your front yard for you. I see a poor family in the church maybe that needs help. I have the money to meet their need. But you know what I do? I convince myself that I could use that money in a better spot and make more money. And then once I make more money, then I'll come back and help them with their need. That's the way it looks. I see somebody that needs my time. And I convince myself, no, no, no. It's my time. I could do better with that time over here and make more money. And then when it's convenient, I'll... That's, that's it. That's what James is getting at. 
It, it, we, we've, we've so over-planned our own lives. We've so over-agended our own lives. we got no time for interruption. i got my eye on what I'm doing. All this stuff right here, if it's convenient or it happens, I'll do it. Maybe there are ministries that, that need my help. And, and, and here's what we, we ease our conscience by thinking, look, if I invest my time in my new business and I get all that together, then I can go back and do that. And let's be honest, the then never happens. The then rarely happens because guess what? You know what Satan's because now if I got this, it's just a little bit more. I remember I heard a quote. I think it was from from Vanderbilt or from the, the how much is enough? He said a little bit more. How much is enough? A little bit more. We'd be honest. That's our own heart as well. That's why, again, godliness with contentment is great gain. Because in my flesh, it's always going to be a little bit more. It's, it's an excuse. We, we, in our arrogance, we begin to make excuses for our disobedience. That, that's, that's the height of arrogance. To make excuses for our disobedience. Why? So that we can plan our own, so we can pursue our own successes, our own, our own goals, all that stuff. And, and again, future prosperity becomes an excuse for present day procrastination for present-day denial of doing what God has clearly told us to do. On the other hand, when we realize that we're but a vapor and we're only here for a short time, guess what you do? You're prompted not to hesitate. You're prompted to do now what the Lord has called you to do. Why? Because you don't know if you're here tomorrow. You might not be here tomorrow. And our arrogance and our worldliness thinks that we can put off obedience to God's will so that we can pursue our own. And we begin to justify one for the other. That's how deceitful and subtle and pervasive sin is that we can put off, that we will stiff arm God to pursue our own agenda and think we're okay doing it. Look what he says. To the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Here, here's what James is saying, and this is what struck me. Not doing what we know to do is just as much sin as doing what we know not to do. It's just as gross. It's just as offensive to God. Not doing what we know to do is just as sinful as doing what we know not to do. That, that's the dangerousness of sin. It's just as gross a sin. Sin is sin in that sense. You're pursuing your own agenda. Rather than humbly submitting to God, godly wisdom says, look, I sacrifice everything to you, God. I, 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 if I have it, it's yours. Look, look with me. At, listen to Proverbs Proverb 3, verse 27 and 28. Again, it's believed by some that Paul draws a lot of this chapter out of Proverbs 3. But I, I, I read this for you just so you see the continuity of the Bible. These themes are throughout the Bible. I'm not making this up. The writer of Proverbs 3 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Listen to this. Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. It doesn't get more bottom shelf than that. 
I mean, that's right down there where you don't need a 12th grade reading comprehension to figure out what, what, what the writer here is saying. To delay in doing what God knows, what you know God has told you to do, to delay in doing it and to put it off is sin. It's sin. And you say, well, where does that come from? It comes from our own pride and our own arrogance because I think I'm king. And I think I'm more important than you. And I got plans for that $100 that you need. And my plans are superior to your plans. But the reality is what's convicting to me is my plans for that $100 is usually something that I don't need when you absolutely need it to live. That's why in 1 Timothy 6, he says, with clothing and shelter, I mean, clothing and food, that word clothing there can mean not only clothing for our physical bodies, we want you to wear clothes, but also shelter. Shelter. With shelter and clothes and food. God says, you're good. Be content. You say, don't make excuses. Do it now. To delay, he says it's sin. See, we, we, we think about sins of commission. When you, I said, if I asked, hey, what is sin? I promise you, me, you, all of us, we would name, 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 and they would all be actions. You know what James is saying? Take that list a little further, because not doing what you know to do is also sin. Delaying and doing what you know and, and again, if we raised our hand, we've all been there where we're in a situation and clear as day, God is telling us what to do. And you know what we do? We walk away and don't do it. Sin. I, I'm guilty. I, I, all of this. I, I, get to li- I get to study through this for weeks before I give you the, the, the meal cooked up. God has, ha- he has slayed me all over the place on this stuff. I'm thinking about this all the time. I'm thinking, you're a wretch. Again, the link, the link, I hope you see the link between this whole passage. Go back to verse 6. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The proud says, hey, I'll do it tomorrow. The arrogant says, no, 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 I, I, got, I, got, I got plans. I got an agenda. I, I'll get to it when it's convenient. I mean, this takes us all the way back to James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of, of the word and not merely hearers who what? Delude themselves. You're fooling yourself. God's called us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. To, to think that God's plans, to think that His promptings, to think that His leading would be subject, would be inferior to ours is the height of arrogance. He's saying to the one who knows what to do, and I give you an opportunity to do it. I give you an opportunity to show my character. I give you an opportunity to to display the gospel. I give you an opportunity to live out the grace and the mercy that I've lavished upon you. And I'm going to say to God, no thanks, I've got got stuff to do. Basically, I'm going to take all your grace and mercy, God, and I'm going to spend it on myself. I'm going to spend it on myself. And I'm going to busy my life and I'm going to structure my life and I'm going to steward my life in such a way that I don't have time to pause 
I don't have time to stop. One thing you read the Gospels, you always see Jesus doing. He always had time to pause. No matter what he was doing, he always had time to pause. He always had time to be interrupted. Paul's life was constant interruptions. That's why he says in Philippians 1.12, they were, they were concerned about him sitting in a jail. And he says, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware about my circumstances. Hey, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has turned out for the greater cause of the gospel. He says the whole praetorian guard. Paul had plans. Paul was on his way. You go at the end of Acts, that man was ended up 600 miles off course. All right, let's go. Gospel. Comple- it was an attitude. It was an attitude that said, look, I'll make my plans, Lord, but you can do anything you want and interrupt them, and I'll submit to that. This is kind of what I have a thought for the day, but you know, Lord, it's all yours. If you want to interrupt it, it's yours. And I'm begging all of us, me, don't, don't waste our lives on stuff that's going to pass away. Don't, don't put off doing what God has told us to do now so that we can pursue our own agenda and think we're being godly when we do that. L- live for the glory of God. L- allow ourselves to be interrupted. Allow our plans to be interrupted. Ask yourself this, who, who do most of your plans, who do most of my plans revolve around? Who, who, who are most of my plans about? Who, whose glory are most of my plans built upon? I, I pray that we'd be a people that would just pour ourselves out, as Paul says, pour ourselves out as drink offering to God's glory, that we'd be willing to be interrupted, that we would be willing to be inconvenienced, that we would be willing even to go without so that others could have just even the bare things that they need. That God's character would be shown to him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. You know, I I thought about that as we close. Some of us in here, that could be as simple as baptism. Maybe you've been a believer a long time and you feel that Lord telling you to get baptized, you know you need to take that step. And you're like, I ain't getting up there. Could be. I, I'm, not, I'm not judging your attitudes. Is there anyone in your life that you just consistently God lays on your heart to, to serve or to. It could be forgiveness. Forgive that person. Forgive. I ain't forgiving that person. Hey, go up to that person and seek their forgiveness. I ain't doing it. Hey, do this. I'm not doing it. What in your life are you not doing? What in your life are you subjecting God's will to your plans? Who, who in your life do you refuse? To, the, the implication of this is huge. What, what act of obedience is the, word, is, the, is the word commanding? Is the Holy Spirit in you commanding? It could be someone here that you know Jesus is who the Bible says He is. You refuse to publicly profess that. These can be simple things, these can be huge things. Whatever it is God's commanding us to do, whatever it is God's telling us to do today, I pray that we'd be a people bold enough and brave enough and trust in the Lord enough to do it. When He tells us, not when it's convenient, when He tells us to do it.
Because that, that's exactly what we see in our Savior. It's exactly what we He did not come to do His own will. Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. I pray that that would be my attitude. That I'm not here to be served, but I'm here to serve. And even in that, I'm doing it to reflect the glory of my Heavenly Father, not to my, my glory. I'm only doing it because I've been served lavishly. I've had God's grace lavishly. If you're a believer, you've had God's grace lavishly poured upon you. Be a conduit of that grace, not a dead end.